Fast, efficient, and affordable business-grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates, and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting, amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today, or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us. Big ones, little ones, fiddly ones, powerful ones. The ones for the car or the truck, caravan, boat, mobility scooter, solar system. In fact, for any kind of battery, go straight to Battery Central Ipswich. They'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what'll do the job. Battery Central Ipswich, 280 Brisbane Street, West Ipswich, in the yellow building. Expert advice, better batteries, best prices every day. That's Battery Central Ipswich. Welcome to episode 769 of the Aussie Tech Heads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Hey, mate. Man, I've been so sick. You sound great. Can't believe it. People have to excuse me probably during the show. You might get a bunch of sniffling and uh, some few coughs might sneak through before I mute them. But it's, all right, it's your turn this time. <laughs> the show must go on. Yeah. Something I got recently. Do, 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 ta da! A black box. A Huion tablet for drawing. And it comes with a funky pen. Mm. And a pen stand. And inside the, the stand is really cool. You can leave your pen stuck up in there, or it's got a little groove and you can put it on the side if you like that. And then in the base, it's got all replacement nibs that you could just push in and install a new one. And then the tablet is a 640p model and it's got six programmable buttons down the side. So when I'm working in Asaprite to make graphics, I can use uh, buttons four and five for going up and down through layers. Button one's for brush. Uh, two is pick up a current ink color from somewhere else. And three uh, is erase. So I could just press all of these and I don't need the key. In fact, I put the keyboard over here on the floor because it doesn't, it's a Bluetooth one anyway. So, and uh, I could just use the tablet completely. And then when I'm finished, I could just pick up the keyboard and bring it back if I need to, but it works really well. Uh, the problem is I've got to get used to not thinking like operating a mouse. Because mm. with a mouse, if you want to, if you've got the mouse on the pad, you want to move up in the top corner, you sort of push, push, pull, pull, pull through there until you get up there and it's all memory, muscle memory from the last 30 years of using mice. Yeah. But with a tablet, that is your whole screen that you can see in the tablet area. So if you move up in the top left, 
it moves up the top left of the screen even if you've got 4k monitor like i have i've got everything zoomed in for this particular app so i don't have to move too much but just takes a bit of getting used to that you go from here to there not try and drag the, <laughs> the cursor up that way yeah i think a lot of that's why a lot of people like the actual graphics tablets the ones that they're like a, a normal, normal tablet but they're a lcd screen normal. yeah that way you, you can actually draw on what you're doing rather than trying to translate here this movement to this section yeah my daughter's got one of those uh, xp pen uh, mm. she does art drawing um little characters and stuff for her friends and things that she really enjoys so i thought i might get something but hers was about five hundred dollars whereas mine was 55 so <laughs> for me this works really well yeah they do the job but I started doing some graphics, as I said, using Aceprite, and I've been doing it with the mouse for a while, so using this is something different, and I have to not hold it too much like a pen, because I'm always, like, really stiff in the hand, and after about 30 minutes of doing stuff, my hand gets crampy, so mm. I just have to hold it lightly and get used to moving the whole hand and your arm sometimes, instead of just trying to push down like you would be writing yep yeah it's, it's i mean there are even though it's pressure sensitive tip you don't need it for everything you're doing that's right yeah it has 8192 pressure levels but it doesn't have a battery in there or anything it, it works from the um, circuitry in the tablet through a inductance coil in the pen which activates everything on there and the pen's even got two programmable buttons on there so i set one to erase and i had one on uh, brush as well but i find it just easier to use my use the tablet pre-programmed buttons instead of because sometimes i'll pick up the pen and i'll be drawing them like where is that button turn it yeah. around okay got it <laughs> so it's just easier pressing the buttons on the thing but a lot of people some people are like I don't want to use any of the buttons. I never use buttons on there. Everything I do is through the pen, but yeah, trying to find that thing when you twist it around, picked it up slightly off is a bit annoying, but so I just use the other. You could use whichever you like, and yeah, it's really, really good. So if you're the artist kind and you want to do like paintbrush style, you can have an application like that, and uh, I think Kreiter is one that can do that, and the harder you push down the um, harder the ink, quote, ink, unquote, comes out. And you can also swish it around on an angle like a paintbrush and up on the end like a tip. So you get a little bit, and as you go to an angle, it spreads it out a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, I had only a few years ago. Um, pretty low resolution in terms of, like... If you draw a draw a diagonal line, you can kind of see it go down across, down across, down across, down <laughs> across. It didn't actually draw a diagonal per se, yeah. But um, because you could actually it had a clear sheet over the front of it, you could lift the front up, and you could put a bit of paper on it with something you wanted to draw, yep, and drop the sheet back down. You could draw over the top of it, and it would like like is it for tracing or something? Yeah, it was all right for. I think, this is ten years ago, and it was. 40 or 50 bucks then so yeah <laughs> probably a three dollar one now uh, they got a lot of lot of different models and types of course it's um the brand 
the company is Hurion, H-U-O-I-N, and um, the model I got is a 640p. They've got a 480p, which is smaller still, if you don't need to move around a lot. And then they got the really big, uh, I think it's 1160, and it's the size of an A4 sheet of paper. Mm. Uh, how have things been going for you? Um, the weather's been all over the show. We're actually in the storm in the middle of getting the storms at the moment. Did you actually actually get anything sorted with your insurance in the back shed? Nope. Can't even get a hold of them at the moment. So you know that's the thing. But um, at the moment, I've given up on that. I got a few other things to worry about at the moment, so it's not really priority. Yep. But it's it is annoying though, you know. Like how hard is it seriously? The EV still going well? Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's That'll make uh, me want one now. <laughs> Especially with uh, you know the advent of the higher fuel prices and everything. Yeah. Basically, it's almost the the the, f- the difference in the fuel bill is almost paying for the car now. All right. So, well, it is actually. So I guess when it's when you're just around home and you're buzzing around town to get groceries and stuff, you could even use that instead of using a ice car. Well, that's the thing. Like that's what I say to a lot of people. Like a lot of people have three or four. A lot of families have two or three or four cars. Yep. It's like, well, you don't need to have. You know, three of them just go to work and back. Yeah. They don't do anything else. You, you got your one main touring car that you, if you want to go away somewhere, you take that car. I can't get an EV because it won't go 4,000 kilometres on a tank of fuel. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But for the most part, you know, if you run, you get used EVs, the cheaper ones that only have a couple hundred K range, they're they're cheaper than, you know, the same price as a small car. Hmm. You you get one of those and you're pretty much set. That's the end of your bill pretty much. You don't have to worry about oil or gas or moving parts that need fixing and lubing and blah. Yeah, and then people are like, oh, the new Tesla only does, I think actually the new one does 1,000 Ks, but, you know, oh, my Tesla only does 600 Ks. I'm like, yeah, but you don't drive for six hours, do you? No. Like, you might drive for four or maybe five, but you've got to stop and go to the toilet, get something to eat, you know, and while you're doing that, you plug in, and by the time you come back, it's charged. Yeah. So Which is what you would be doing anyway, except you would be going there, fill up the car, park it over there, go have something to eat. Exactly. And it costs you a lot more money. <laughs> well, if if you've got so much money that you enjoy spending it on fuel yeah. and maintenance and what have you, sure, go ahead. <laughs> but hopefully we're getting this... this uh cold front should be coming through at the end of the week so that'll be good oh because we've had like almost 30 degree days every day still. yep well, the um, next couple of days we got 22 and then 23 yeah i think we were 29 or something today and tomorrow and then they're supposed to go down to like 24 or something burr <laughs> bit of a change yeah so, yeah <clears throat> I saw a picture somebody had put on, I think it was Reddit or something yesterday, and it was like, um, Europeans, when it gets to 30 degrees, and they're um, out there with nothing on, 
and yeah. Australians when it gets to 30 degrees wearing a jumper and a jacket. <laughs> this isn't hot. What are you talking about? <laughs> or in, isn't it India at the moment is getting like 65 degree temperatures? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Nuts. They had to invent new colours. We, we got up to purple. Now they've moved on to grey and white for the really high temperatures. And I, I see a lot of people not making it through that one, especially if you haven't got AC. I wouldn't yeah, leave the damn house. Yeah, it's going to not, not end well for a lot of people. No. So Shall we do some news? Might as well. Alrighty then. Security researchers have found that it's possible to conduct domain name system DNS poisoning attacks against Internet of Things devices, thanks to a bug in the popular UCLibc and UCLibcNG standard C libraries. Although the bug was disclosed last year, it remains unpatched as the maintainer has not been able to develop a fix for it. An attacker can predict transaction IDs in DNS requests that the libraries generate, allowing DNS poisoning attacks that can be used to redirect traffic and spoof legitimate websites. An unknown number of devices are affected by the vulnerability, but Nozomai said it has been disclosed to over 200 vendors. According to their respective official websites, UCLibc is known to be used by major vendors such as Linksys, Netgear and Axis, or Linux distributions such as Embedded Gentoo. UCLibcNG is a fork specifically designed for OpenWRT, a common OS for routers, possibly deployed throughout various critical infrastructure sectors. Those of me, researchers Giannis Tazarias and Andrea Palanca wrote. The Nozomi researchers disclosed the vulnerability to the Computer Emergency Response Team CERT at the United States Government Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency in September last year. Carnegie Mellon's CERT Coordination Centre invited the Nozomi researchers to join their vulnerability information and coordination environment platform through which the flaw was disclosed to vendors. They also contacted the maintainer of the open source project who said he was unable to develop a fix for the bug. Nozomi said that they won't disclose the exact devices that are vulnerable library implementations as there's no fix for the bug yet. What do we always say, Mr. T? The S in IoT stands for security. <laughs> there is none. Mm. There can be, but the problem is people use so many, you know, pre-rolled distros and ready-to-roll components that they just don't think about it. Yep. She'll be right. Just sell a ton of stuff and make profit. Well, yeah, it's that. But, I mean, there's so much um, end-user stuff, like, you know, DIY stuff now as well. You know, and so much of that is just, you know, oh, well, I've done it myself. I install something with the default password. And go, oh, I'll go back and change that. And you just don't. No. <laughs> and then three years later, you go and log into your You're like, oh, what's the password? And you go, look up, you know, default. look up default password for this router. And you're like, oh, I wonder. And you type in, you're like, oh. It did work. <laughs> I'll have to fix that sometime. <laughs> change that someday. <laughs> off you go again. <laughs> <laughs> I know OpenWRT is very popular. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, same with the routers, you know, like um, the Wi-Fi passwords. Yep. You either have something that you remember and it's easy to tell people about. Yep. Or you've got 300 sticky notes stuck all over the house where they're written down anyway. It's like... Well, like like for my dad's um, TPG, they've got a standard 
one that they set it to, and he's 100 years old, so he's not going to change his once it's all set up because no. then you have to change all the devices stuff. But um, And then um, friends of mine in Sydney had, um, I think it was Optus, and they have this ridiculous long password mixed characters and stuff that they have to leave it stuck on the fridge if anyone comes to visit because they have to type in this long, complicated thing. And all I can think of is, dude, you're a IT type guy. You know how these things work. Can't you just change? Yeah, but I think what well, I'm the same. I think what happened was I set my router up with the default Wi-Fi password because it was written on the side of the router. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll change that once I get this finished setting up. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna add this device so I can do stuff. Oh, I'm just gonna add this to, and then oh, you want to watch a movie? Okay, I'll add that device, and I'll put my phone on Wi-Fi. Next thing you know, every device in the house was set up with that username password. I'm like, I don't want to change it now because now I've got to go through and change it and every other device. (laughs) And then your visitors just have to hate you. Yeah, pretty much. So, Let me set up a guest Wi-Fi connection. I I can do that too, but I actually did that just to annoy somebody. They... Every time they'd come over, they'd like update their phone and stuff, and they'd just take all the network bandwidth. So yeah, I set up a guest one. And I limited the download speed to like, yeah, I think it was five hundred k or something. Yeah, <laughs> that'll fix ya. Yeah. Dude, I used to be able to open, fix up my phone a lot faster at your place. What's going on? Yeah, I know. I know must be a shit phone, man. <laughs> Not my fault. Um, so this is interesting. This story, um, especially for people who, like myself who use this, this. Samsung has released new Pro f- Endurance line of design um, SS, micro SS, or SSD and micro SSD cards designed to offer up to 16 years of continuous recording. Um, they read, offer read and write speeds of up to 100 meg per second and 40 meg respectively. The cards are class 10 and rated with video speed ratings of up to U3 and v30 for video um so a 256 256 gig model card um can basically be used continuously for 140,000 hours wow the pro endurance micro sd cards are also waterproof dustproof wearproof and resistant to magnets x-rays and extreme temperatures and available immediately suggested retail ranging from 10 from 11 dollars for 2 2 gig to 55 dollars for 256 gig um so i've got surveillance cameras at work it'd be great for that not only do they record locally onto the hard drive they also all record locally onto their own sd card and i kill sd cards about every 12 months yep um i put 256 256 uh, i think we're using 128s but yeah i put those in there and um they only last about 12 months and then they start getting corruption errors and stuff because the continual write cycles yep um but something like this would be perfect for that. Put it in, haven't got to worry about it. It'll last the life of the camera. That's fantastic. So, and they're fairly well priced. Time to go shopping, Mr. T. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Valve just published the updated Steam hardware software survey results for April 2022, providing a look at the Linux market share for April, among other interesting metrics. The April 2022 numbers have been a particular interest since it was the second full month since the Steam Deck began shipping to consumers and production ramping. Valve still hasn't been entirely clear about how Steam Deck will be treated in the Steam survey, if at all. So far, at least, in the Steam Deck, haven't seen any, uh, they haven't seen any Steam survey prompt or any other survey data changes correlating to Steam Deck software hardware. Back for March 2022, Steam on Linux hit 1%. April 2022, coming in at a healthy 0.14% gain, bringing it up to 1.14%. 1.14 is still off the 2% high seen in the early days of Steam on Linux as a percentage of user base, but considering the absolute user base gain since that point, it's likely a peak for Linux gaming in absolute numbers. In recent times, the peak for Steam on Linux market share was 1.16 back in November. Seeing a 0.14% bump over the course of the month may indicate the Steam Deck Steam OS 3 is being tracked as part of the survey as there hasn't been any high-profile Linux native game releases the past month or any direct attribute for the increase besides overall interest stemming from Steam Deck Steam OS. As for the individual Linux distributions reported in the Steam survey, it shows Ubuntu 20.04.4 LTS still out in front with an increase of 0.03%, Arch Linux with a 0.02% increase, and Manjaro Linux with a 0.01% increase. I think uh, some people are picking for their desktop or laptop Linux distribution install the SteamOS one. Mm. <coughs> I don't yeah. know what Manjiro is, but a lot of people have got it, apparently. They like it. It's really popular. I've seen a couple of YouTube videos, but yeah, I haven't played with it. Can't be as good as Pop, though, right? Huh? Huh? Right? I think Manjiro is more gaming orientated. Um, it, it's. Um, and Pop yeah, is like, a jack of all trades. Pop's very, very good. It's, it's just a fantastic all round. It does do games really well, but it's not specifically designed for games. It's. Hmm. It's uh, it's just a very, very well-rounded OS. And as we've found out, games run better on it than Windows does. <laughs> For the most part, yeah. I, in my case, at least, I don't have any games. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Um, yeah, no, all, all the game, well, at least all the games I've installed run the equivalent or better than they did on Windows. Yep. You got and no excuses anymore, people? No, not really. <laughs> um, and a lot of day-to-day programs run faster like browsers load quicker gimp loads insanely fast um it loads up in like a second <laughs> um video editing stuff's quick like there's there's so many so many positives to it I, I, there's a couple of little things little niggly things um but really nothing you know certainly nothing that's a deal breaker I saw um, KDN Live got an update was recently with about 300 up changes and yeah. features and stuff. Fair enough. That's what we do this podcast with at the end of recording at KDN Live. Yep. I was using Shot and Mr. T goes, KDN Live! And I was like, all right, I'll give it a... Okay, I won't do the shot anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's just something about it. It just works so well. Um, I don't know why. It, 
technically no different than, you know, it's using the same rendering platform and everything, but there's something about it, it just works really, really well. So, but, uh, yeah. Um, speaking of glory days of Microsoft, <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft 3D Movie Maker was initially launched in 1995. Woo! The program allowed you to place 3D objects within environments to create films. The software looks dated now, but it was a fun way to play around with 3D effects back in the day. Now the classic classic program has been open sourced by Microsoft. It appears that 3D Movie Maker enthusiast was able to convince Microsoft Scott Hanselman to open source the software by nerd sniping. The term refers to it um, when a person claims something cannot be done with the aim of someone proving them wrong. What's the best way to get something done? Nerd snipe an engineer and tell him he can't do it. I hate being told something like it can't be done. Microsoft Scott Haslund said. So yeah, the tweet was, "Hey, I've, um, uh, where was it? Yeah, that, that was uh, his original tweet was um, at Microsoft. Give me the source code to 3D Movie Maker. You released it in '95, and I want to expand it and extend it. My DMs are open. I'll help you open source it." And then Scott Hausman's like, hey, friends, we're open source the code to 95 Microsoft 3D Movie Thanks to, uh, and the Microsoft OSS office as well. <laughs> All right, somebody get on Twitter and send a message to Microsoft. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you open source Windows 11 and uh, <laughs> Office 365? That would be pretty cool. Thanks. Of course, Microsoft 3D Movie Maker from 95 is out of support. In fact, may not even work on your PCs. The project is unlikely to build successfully under modern hardware, but you can get started with compilation and get partial completed binaries, explains GitHub page. The files in GitHub repository for historical reference and will remain static going forward. Microsoft invites people to fork the repo and experiment with the code. Someone's so, going to have it up and running in a couple of weeks on every device in the world. Yeah, well, since since that went up, when did when that article go up? That was uh, May 4th that they tweeted that they open sourced it. May the 4th be with you. And um, it's already running on, yeah, they've already got it running on certain applications <laughs> already. Yeah. I think Linux is one of them. Sweet. So, yeah, so Windows Movie Maker is running on Linux. <laughs> Do they have to call it Linux Movie Maker now? Oh, it was such a bad program. It was great. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> used it. Yeah, oh, yeah. They used it. And then later on, they dropped the whole 3D side of it and just became a basic video editing program. Yep. A lot of people use that instead of paying for... I did. I use that. You look on my YouTube videos, just about all of them up until, I don't know, whenever they stop support for it in, what, Windows 7? I think even in Windows 7 you could get it, just once I switched, switched out of Windows 7. Yep. Yeah. Well, if we're going to talk about Microsoft, speaking of Microsoft, it's a secret segue, very smooth. Microsoft in late 2020 announced Direct Storage as a new API in the DirectX family focused on delivering faster I.O. performance for games to yield quicker game load times and more expensive virtual worlds. So what basically happens is you can have a huge open world and you don't go for a while and then stop and then it says loading next part, tell you a few 
if you ever play Minecraft, basically, especially if you're flying, you fly faster than chunks can land. Yeah. You end up in, in yeah. So if you're playing something like World of Warcraft, you don't have to wait for it to teleport through zones. Is everything is just seamless. After being a limited developer preview since last year, Microsoft is making direct storage API broadly available. The news is this news isn't directly relevant to Linux gamers, but it's interesting tech, and it'll be interesting to see if when there's work on emulating or wrapping this API around Linux interfaces for use by Steam Play. The Direct Storage API includes a new programming model for DirectX 12 style batched, IP, batched IO, GPU, accelerated decompression, and various storage stack optimizations aimed for speedy NVMe disk performance. Games must explicitly use the Direct Storage API, but in doing so should yield significantly quicker game load times and allow for heavier I.O. usage, such as for larger maps and textures without hurting the system performance. It'll be interesting to see if Steam Play and or Wine aims to provide a compatibility implementation of Direct Storage. Mapping the new Storage API to I.O. U-Ring might be possible for more efficient I.O. handling, and the GPU decompression seems like it should be workable to impl implement atop Vulkan. Linux's storage stack itself is constantly improving as we frequently report on with new per-core IOPS records being frequently set. It's also worth noting that at least for now direct storage only supports reads and not disk writes. Those wishing to learn more about the direct storage API that's now publicly available can do so via the Microsoft developer blog. Faster loading of stuff and bigger better games. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, we've all got faster hard drives now, but the games aren't necessarily coded to take advantage of it. A lot of them are hard-coded with a specific load time regardless. Yep. So. They all think they're going to be running off HDD because you've got to go with the lowest common denominator. Hmm. Instead of being dynamic and able to change. Yep. <laughs> None of that. No. What's up with that? That's it for me. How are you doing? One quick one. Um, what's so the stuff that's happening between Russia and Ukraine? Uh, several Hollywood studios announced the immediate suspension of new releases in Russia. Yeah. Unexpectedly, well, for them, but not really if you're <laughs> Russian. Some Russian theaters are still able to show movies such as the Batman on big screen, but this isn't down to the studios. The movies are sourced from illegal torrent sites, and few of them seem to be afraid to admit it. <laughs> Um, I was actually going to jokingly say maybe they're getting it from torrents. Yeah. Dozens of countries um, have implemented unprecedented sanctions. Uh, where are we? We've got to see the new Batman. The companies such as uh, Netflix, Spotify, um, Hollywood Studios, Paramount, Disney, Warner Brothers and Sony have all blocked... Um, releases in russia yeah. so um yeah russia russia's association of cinema owners issued a powerful statement representing 700 cinemas and 2600 screens across the country the group said the collapse of the entire film industry was on the horizon we expressed concern about the high pro probability of liquidation of the entire film industry um in the country in the context of the introduction of the large-scale and unprecedented sessions Unfortunately, the quantity and quality of Russian films released to the public does not meet the full demand of cinemas for content. <laughs> in funny that. Yeah. In addition, the release of some Russian films for reasons unknown to us have been postponed from next 
uh, or completely cancelled despite the fact that it's filmed to receive state approval. Um, with predictions of 80% loss in revenue, the association called on the Ministry of Culture to offer assistance. Uh, but in the meantime, some cinemas have been taking drastic actions into their own hands. Well, I mean, we saw the Russian version of Itchy and Scratchy cartoon one time. Yeah. <laughs> that was, and what was Krusty say at the end of it? What the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the special events uh, the featured the Batman movie. Tickets cost around 500 rubles, which is $7. With the organisers framing the screening as an art performance with artistic commentary on Hollywood's departure from the Russian market. <laughs> <laughs> we got a free torrent and we charge you seven bucks to watch it. The, the source of the movie was unofficial, of course. The pirate copy, complete with Russian dub, was downloaded from an unnamed torrent site. User lighting is the same or similar source. Additional movie screenings took place at several other venues, including the Granvik Cinema. At the end of the time of writing, the cinema is still allowing customers to book online to watch part of the Batman, which has five performances today alone. <laughs> and in the bottom right corner is a watermark ripped by XOR. <laughs> cinema industry condemnation. The illegal public demonstration of pirated or rather stolen copies of films in cinemas takes the Russian cinema business out of the legal arena and turns us to the dark days of the legal business of the 1990s. Well, I'm also fairly sure it's illegal to stop to break a contract with a company just because you don't want to give them something. Mm. I mean, that's why they, they start up, they have contracts with movie theatres, they pay them a lot of money to get, you know, prioritised release on movies. Yep. Well, I guess it's up to them to try and fight as them. As far as I'm concerned, they already paid their dues. Mm. Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Head Show. We can be found at Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Email us, Wheeler Warlock, at aussietechheads.com.au and go to aussietechradio.com, 24-7 playback of tech-related shows. See you next time. Bye.